Welcome to City Square Podcast, where we talk to everyday people about faith and work. Uh, my name is Micah. This is a special episode where John and I get together and answer your questions. Um, I love interviewing. I've really enjoyed making the podcast so far. I love having conversations with people. There is one problem, though, with our roughly one-hour format. Uh, it's impossible to cover everything. So there are huge chunks of John's life that we skipped in his episode. There are a bunch of theological topics that we, you know, just kind of skimmed over, didn't even dig into in both of our episodes, you know, just because we didn't have time to um, get into detail with them. So if you do have questions or you want us to expand on certain topics uh, that we mention but don't cover then please drop them in the comments below on YouTube. You can ask them on Facebook as well underneath our episode announcements or on our videos. Or you can also message the Facebook page if you want to get in touch with us. So with that being said, we did get some questions about our first few episodes, and we wanted to try to get to a few of them tonight. Yeah, man. So one of the questions that uh, we did get is what is the difference between LCMS and Calvinism? And I'll let you take that one. That, yeah, that's an interesting question. So there are, well, let's break it down to what I think I can answer the question as asked. Um, but I think it'd be better to kind of break it down what uh, apples to apples. Calvinism and LCMS are really, that's an apple, apples to orange. Um, as asked. So um, I think maybe breaking it down a little bit further. <clears throat> so Calvinism, of course, and, uh, you know, I haven't been a Calvinist in a couple of years. Um, so John, feel free to jump in. But Calvinism uh, is mainly defined mo in modern terms as the TULIP acronym. Um, and Calvinism is trans-denominational, I guess you could say, or interdenominational. In the fact that there are there are Baptists who are Calvinists, there are Presbyterians that are Calvinists, there are um, Anglicans that would hold to Tulip and Calvinism. There are other variations of Reformed, um, Continental Reformed, um, and others. I can't really think of their name right now, but those are like the main. There's different different streams, right? So Calvinism as Tulip is more of a soteriological. Uh, grid or framework to view how we are saved and the state of man and that sort of thing. Uh, the LCMS is a um, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, of course, is a confessional Lutheran denomination. So they are the largest conservative Lutheran denomination in um, the United States. They would hold to a uh, what's called a quia subscription. A quia is a Latin term that means because. So they hold a an aquia or a quia subscription to the Book of Concord. The Book of Concord would be the Lutheran confessions uh, that are written by Luther and Melanchthon and various other theologians um, around the time of the Reformation. So the LCMS and other conservative confessional Lutheran bodies would hold to the Book of Concord as a correct um exposition of the scriptures. There are other Lutheran bodies in the United States 
um, probably the largest one and most well-known would be the ELCA. And the ELCA is, um, as stars would say, a hive of scum and villainy. Um, they are not confessional. They would, they would say they hold to the Book of Concord um, insofar as it, as it corresponds to Scripture. So that gives them the wiggle room, right? Um, if you hold to a confession and you say, I hold to this confession because it agrees with Scripture, that's one thing. If you hold to a confession as far as it agrees with Scripture, then, well, that makes you the judge of that confession based on Scripture. So, like, our confessions so, should be informed by the scriptures, correct? Correct. So, um, a confessional Lutheran, there are other confessional believers as well. That's not just a term that is reserved for Lutherans. Um, there are confessional Reformed, um, and those are the two main groups, Lutherans and Reformed, that would hold to certain types of confessions. So, um, there's the London uh, 1689. That's a Reformed Baptist confession. And people hold one. to that. Yeah, the best one. Best one for John. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, there are, yeah, there are different groups of believers who hold to a certain confession of faith. Um, this, you know, and then thus they're known as confessional, right? So I brought that up mainly to highlight the difference between the ELCA and other liberal Lutheran bodies and the LCMS as one of, as the largest conservative or confessional body. So not to get too off track. Um, so for what I think what you're, what the real question to drill down to would be, um, so the, the question of soteriology. So how are we saved? What is, you know, what is man's state? Um, how, how do we come to know Christ? That sort of thing. Um, because I think that's where the meat of it is with um, Tulip, um, which, John, you, you, knew, you know Tulip off by heart, right? Uh, yeah, man. So, like, Tulip is total depravity, um, unconditional election, limited atonement, uh, irresistible grace, and perseverance with the saints. And like you said earlier, like Calvinism is not a denomination. It's a theology that exists uh, across denominationally, right? Presbyterians, yep. some Baptists, some Anglicans, non-denominational Christ, uh, churches. Right. And um, yeah. Yep. So, so that is, um, that is definitely, it can exist in multiple traditions. So um, uh, there are, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. If you are interested in getting kind of really into detail or more into detail than probably we can do um, about what a Lutheran might believe about Tulip, I can kind of go through it, but there will be stuff I you know forget or don't cover or whatever. Um, so the first one would be total depravity. Um, and Lutherans, for the most part, I, would – for the most part would agree um, with um, Calvinists on that point. There might be some, and just like anything, any of these points, um, there might be different definitions they use or different um, emphasis that they have. Um, but for the most part, total depravity, there'd be, there'd be agreement there. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. You know, we cannot um, come to God on our own. Um, there is a line 
um, I think it's in the small catechism, the small or the large catechism that Luther wrote. And it basically says, I believe that I can do nothing in my, in and of myself to believe in God. Um, so yes, we cannot come to God without him being the initiating agent with him saving us. Um, so Lutherans were the original monergists, um, and they share that heritage with, uh, with Calvinists and followers of Calvin. Uh, second would be unconditional election. Um, I think for the most part, that would be, we would be in agreement there as well, meaning God, you know, God saves us. Um, uh, where we start to diverge would be on the, the L, limited atonement. Lutherans do hold to unlimited atonement. Um, so limited atonement would say God died only for the elect or only for his bride or only for the church, only for those who would persevere. Um, whereas we would, we would point to scripture to say God died for the world. God died for desires of salvation of all. Um, so that would be where the first real, I think, substantive disagreement would come in. Um, and like a lot of people who would be claimed to be reformed in theology, um, that's probably the, la- the one that people wrestle with the most and have the hardest time understanding or uh, coming to grips with. And there's a lot of people who would probably be under the reformed umbrella that would say probably similar lines of like, yes, limited atonements, but, and which is kind of, which is kind of odd to do. Um, but like, yeah, I just wanted to, th- I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, second would be, or not the second, the fourth would be irresistible grace. Irresistible grace, uh, would, we would fall what has been described as mostly resistible grace. That makes sense. It probably doesn't. Um, uh, so it we would say man me. can resist, man can resist the grace of God. Man can resist the Holy spirit. Um, so God is calling us through his word. He is calling. So his, his call is more um, uh, indiscriminate, we would say, than uh, Calvinists would define it. So he is calling us through you know, his word. He's calling us through the sacraments. Um, but man does, can resist uh, God's grace. Um, that would be another point where we differ. And then in the final one, I believe these are very similar. So I don't know if disagreement is the right term. I'm sure there, like I said, there are different definitions, different ways of describing things. Theologians may use different terms and, but perseverance of the saints, um, there might be different emphasis because I've seen this articulated differently by different people. Right. But we do essentially believe that those who are called of God will persevere to the end. Those who are elect will persevere. Um, so that is kind of a breakdown, kind of between the two systems. There is a YouTube video that we will link in the description of this one. Um, that is a he is a PhD. He's a Lutheran pastor. Uh, his name is Dr. Jordan B. Cooper. <clears throat> J. He Coop. has a YouTube channel. Was it J. Coop? Yeah. <laughs> is J. Coop your homeboy? <laughs> um, yeah, he's a very he's a very kind, um, thoughtful, reasonable man. He's not polemical in his um, videos, so he's not really a uh, he's not going to be railing against Calvinism. Um, but he does go through 
Tulip in a lot more detail, and he and he shares where there might be areas of agreement and where there might be areas of disagreement. <clears throat> so if you're interested in kind of going a little bit deeper, then you can check that video out. And then he does have another video where he personally says five reasons I'm not reformed. That's the title of the video. Uh, he does he's done a series of those, so he has five reasons he's not Catholic and five reasons he's not you know um, Eastern. Didn't Orthodox he used to be reformed? And, I believe he grew up Presbyterian. Yeah. Okay. I went to a Presbyterian uh, college. PCA or PCUSA? PCA, I believe. Or okay. it might have been a smaller denomination, I think. Okay. Um, like CREC or whatever? I'm not sure if it was CREC because <laughs> that one is a little bit younger of a denomination. Yeah. Um, I think that's the one that but, uh, Doug Wilson started. Yeah. Yeah, but he this this man he did grow up reformed, um, and then became a Lutheran. I think during college, um, during his college years. So hmm. he's got a, a ministry online where he tries to provide resources. Like there's a lot of great resources available for um, that are geared more toward reformed believers online. So he's trying to make um, a Lutheran equivalent of that. He's got a publishing house and that sort of thing. So. Those two videos will be there if you're interested in those. Um, I do. I recommend his channel. He does a lot of really great stuff that's not um, denominationally driven. He'll talk about um, like right now he's doing a, a series on Christology. Um, anyways, so that's beside the point. So let me ask you this, man, because I've been asked this by a few people. Um, since Martin Luther is basically more or less the father of the Reformation. Why do Lutherans not claim to be reformed? Why do Lutherans not claim to be reformed? Well, why do Lutherans claim to not be reformed? Because if you ask a Lutheran, are you reformed? They'll say no. Right. Or if you ask somebody like who's a theologian or somebody who is like a leader in theology and that kind of stuff, uh, when you talk about reformed people, churches, theology, Lutheran is never a part of that. Which is interesting because Martin Luther is the one who is spearheaded kind of the whole thing. Yeah. So I'll try to answer that and then before I get off on a rabbit trail. <laughs> so I um, I believe the Reformed label was never really applied to Lutherans um, and was more adopted by um, Calvin and his followers. And maybe Zwingli, but I'm not aware of, of Zwingli claiming the label Reformed. I mean, he may have, he may not have. I'm not, I just, I just don't know. Um, but you did have, you had three major streams in the Reformation. You had the Lutherans, which they didn't even want to be called Lutheran. Like Luther had no desire to leave the Catholic Church. He had he had no desire to start his own church. He just he wished to truly reform um, the the Roman Catholic Church. Right. Um, so Luther, Lutheran as a title was kind of a derogative term. That that Lutherans or Lutheran Christians were labeled as, um, because they we we don't like Luther is not the Lutheran Pope, um, he's not even the primary author of the confessional documents that we subscribe to, right? So, but yeah, I I don't know maybe the particular reason why we wouldn't call ourselves Reformed, other than we there's a difference between the Zwinglian um, Lutheran and then the um, Calvinist, or, you know, it wasn't really Calvinism at the time, but followers of Calvin, it was, there's a difference between those, um, streams of the Reformation. Yeah. So, 
I've heard some people, I think the original term they wanted to be known as, like Lutherans were the original evangelicals. They were called evangelical. Evangelical Catholic is something that we've been called. Um, Augsburg Dude, like the word Catholic. Evangelical from the days of the Reformation to what to now is drastically different. And yeah. we should do, we should probably do an episode on that because that term has been trashed since then. Yeah, it's, you know, there's a lot of, man, there's so many like forks in the road to get to where we are now, right? Yeah. Um, it's a very interesting study. It's, it's, it is fascinating. Um, but yeah, Lutherans, you know, never desire to be called anything different other than some people might say, might say, I've heard a pastor say, oh, call us Reformed Catholic. You know, we are, we are Reformed Catholics. Then I know there are other actual denominations that would consider themselves Reformed Catholic and they would have different definitions, right? So Lutheran is the one that has stuck. Um, even though we were the original reformers, that was the desire. But then Luther was excommunicated, right? The the people who followed him and followed the other leaders um, that were in agreement with him, they were basically excommunicated from the church. Um, so there was a Anglican priest out in West Texas back when I lived there, and he um, was Anglican, but he liked to refer to himself as a Reformed Catholic. Yeah, I've heard. And within, been, go ahead. I was saying, I've encountered other Anglicans online and stuff that would say that too. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, uh, theologically reformed people out there that are trying to reclaim the word Catholic. And so like, they also like to be referred to as reformed, uh, reformed Catholics, hmm. but they do so in, I guess, reference to the true definition of Catholic, which is a universal church. Yeah. And, and so, I think there's, there's some value uh, in that. I think there's actually a, group of Baptists called, well, and they, they group around what they call the Center for Baptist Renewal. And yeah. so one of their mission statements is basically they want to reclaim Catholicity. They want to reconnect the Baptist faith with the early church in a sense. Um, you know, so they're, they're trying to, cause a lot of there's, man, there's so many different streams of, you know, and there's so many, like I said, there's so many forks in the road to how we get to the, you know, 2022, 2023 in, um, in America. Um, and which is, you know, still a predominantly evangelical, predominantly Christian nation in certain ways. Um, at least for the, on the popular, popular level. Uh, so, uh. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, I mean, and then you could go around in, in circles on that definition too. Um, but there are some time. Baptists who would say, like the part of the movement I grew up in, they would say we were never part of Rome, right? Rome yeah. is they, you know, and they view and Lutherans are are kind of there. There's when they say, okay, you know, the Antichrist, the the office of the Antichrist is uh, the papacy, right? Um, someone who sets himself against God, against Christ, you know, places himself in between. So that's still that's still part of our confessions. Um, we're not exactly Roman Catholic light in that sense. Um, but, um, I would say I, I do have a, a kind of a fun chart, which we might post, I think on the, on the page it, it's we'll called post a lot of stuff in the description, man. Yeah. This it's is like, a, this is like a picture though. This is a JPEG. So we might have to make a post. But um, it lays, it kind of lays out Calvinism, Lutheranism, and Arminianism, two strains of Arminianism. 
side by side. So there is, and it shows the, 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 the areas of agreement and disagreement. So it's more from a Lutheran perspective, showing where we might agree or disagree with, with different streams. Um, because even Arminianism, that term kind of loses its meaning in modern times because we have, um, we have classical Arminianism, which is actually a lot closer to Calvinism. It's a, it's, it is a reformed, a branch of the reformed movement. Um, and they had, it was the, what's it called? The remonstrance or the remonstrance, which was Jacob Arminius saying, Hey, I've got five areas of disagreement. And then the Synod of Dort, um, con, uh, convened and had a response, which I think was then, um, well, eventually was formulated into Tulip. Tulip is, I think, a 20th century, 20th century, uh, formulation. So, um, and then it also, this chart also contrasts classical Arminianism and popular Arminianism. So a lot of times people will say, well, you're either Calvinist or you're Arminian in your, in your soteriology. Um, Lutherans are kind of, we're kind of on some, you know, we're on the, on the, the, uh, Calvinistic side on some things we're on the Arminian side on some things we're in the middle on other things. So it just kind of goes through and lays it out so you can kind of see it in one, one glance. Um, but yeah, I won't go through the whole thing. So like on the like essentials, right? Like the Apostles Creed, the Nicene Creed, um, like, um, Reformed, Lutheran, uh, we can even throw in Armenians at a charity. We all agree on, (laughs) uh, the doctrine essentials, right? Yep. Right. Those who are like, who are, who are saved, like we will basically commune at the big table together. Uh, after Christ returns. Yeah, right. You're talking about like in like true believers from every yes. denominational stream. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We wouldn't necessarily commune together on earth in the Lord's Supper sense, but. For sure. No, yeah. My bad. I didn't. Yeah. I should have been more clear on that. Yeah. We're not talking about that today, are we? No, no, no. That's, that's, for, <laughs> that's probably for another time. <laughs> I might get at some point. I'll probably get a, a Lutheran pastor on here, and we'll talk about closed, close, or open communion. Might be interesting. And there's other denominations that hold to varying, you know, varying positions on those. So, um, but yeah. But the what was your question about the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed? So um, I wanted to just. It wasn't so much a question, more of a statement, right? Because like right now we're talking about yeah. a lot of the disagreements on uh, secondary issues. Yeah. And unfortunately, we call them secondary issues to to belittle their importance, but they they are important. However, yep. they're not the utmost important things, right? Right. Disagreement. And the, on uh, the utmost important not... things start with like the Apostles' Creed, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of what there... I'm saying. It's like, so while we are spending time on the different secondary issues, we do have ultimate unity on the things of utmost importance. Right. There are the bounds of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy in the sense of Christian orthodoxy, not uh, the not Eastern or Russian or Greek orthodoxy. Um, the bounds of orthodoxy are defined by um, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Right. The other confessions now there, there's going to be further disagreement on these other things, um, but 
someone who believes in, you know, and holds to the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed are technically Orthodox believers, right? Um, so those are of primary importance. Um, and it's endlessly up for debate of uh, uh, the, the rest, right? Um, so, and, you know, that's one of the things theologians do is in a very careful manner, they choose their words correctly and or carefully. And that's their whole job is to, you know, make these kind of divisions, not, not divisions in the sense of dividing the body, but carefully hand, like that's why you got the doctrine of the Trinity and things like that. You know, it's in scripture, but it was not carefully articulated for a long time. <laughs>